Welcome back, everybody. Uh, the Again, the goal of these podcasts is just to mine tools and ways to help your mental health without <laughs> without having to drop thousands of dollars on therapy um, if you don't have access to that. So here's another way to do that. And I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, it's a way to quench my own curiosity and and help myself in the process and have different perspectives because perspective change can be huge. Um, so this week we had... Another conversation with Samantha Livingstone, Olympic gold medalist. She's a public speaker. She she created this course that helps people with their mental health that programs can use, that individuals can use, that schools and teams can use. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation again. I wanted to know why she created it, what's included in it, and how she how she is using it to change not just the conversation on mental health, but people's mental health. So Besides that, we also talked about the difference between being in a flow state and when you have the awareness to being in a flow state. Does it take you out of a flow state even though awareness is really – there's just a lot of conversations. There's a lot of good questions and conversations that we've had in this and I can't wait to share it with you. So without further ado, I hope there's something in here that helps you in your mental health. Let's get rolling. Confucius said we have two lives. And the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. that I follow who speaks like our language, but in parenting, yeah. it's so funny how I can speak, teach, live, breathe, like this work in this athletic arena. And then when it comes to like home and parenting, I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. These things apply here too. So yeah. Have, have you run into that? I mean, we can, we'll, we'll just start this thing. I mean, we already started, but <laughs> we started. this is fascinating, but have you run into that where it's, um, You've just kind of realized with all the work and, and experimenting and research that it it all just overlaps on top of everything. Have you gotten to that point? Yeah, like the because the, the foundation, the chorus remains right. Yeah. Totally. Yes. 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 Sometimes it's hard to bring it into a new arena, though. So, like, or if it's really close to home, I think like so up close. Maybe I'm realizing as I'm saying this to you, like the, that role of mom is like so is is just a little too close versus having it be something that I like a role that I have in my life. It feels sometimes like who I am. Yeah. 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 So this, the woman that I'm referencing, she talks about two fists because we've talked about like the person and honoring the person and then what they do in the world. So like Sean, right. And then it's like, this is who you are at your core and you're good inside and you're in a, and you're working and this is how you show up, right? So your actions, so like in sport, right? Above the line behavior or successes and then below the line or like even as a human being. So like husband, right? Friend, sometimes we misstep and we're below the line. And so what do you notice about this one? Right. It stays the same, right? Yeah. It's constant and it never changes in these things. And so this space, so this, this modeling of the two fists has given like this visual and this kinesthetic to, to talking about like who you are from what you do. Um, and it's so powerful. So as you were asking that question, I'm like, oh, I think like motherhood sometimes is here. Yeah. Like, yeah, sometimes yeah. it creeps right here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, for you, this is, it's just 
the way you look at it is it's just compartmentalizing, like putting, being able to separate like who you are as a core and then who you are, the, the developmental side, the part that evolves and grows and, and so, so the society is like this our like soul essence inside this physical yeah. body, this human body, and that we inherently are good, like that, that we're worthy, we're, that we are enough as we are, and we're worthy of love and belonging. We don't have to earn those things, right? We don't have to hustle for to prove, we don't have to prove it, even though when we're young, like that's how our, when our brain is developing, we're looking for the messages, like we're trying to make sense of the world and connections. Right. And I've gotten really deep into since the last time we talked attachment theory, yeah. how that that the role that that plays in the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are in the world and what the world expects from us. And so that core essence of who we are and then our actions. So it separates the human from the behavior. And so there's agency and control over how we can show up in the world. And sometimes things happen to us that we can't control but our response, right, is that separation, is this, it's our actions. And so it gives us, it gives us, it, I, I feel like it helps us uh, feel more empowered and in control, right, and takes ownership of the things that we can control in our life. So does that yeah. make more sense? So no, like this, for, is a, this is us as a human, right? And then this is how we're showing up in the world. Yeah. No, I mean, now you're speaking my language because this is like yeah. where I kind of started, which was going well, what are we at our at our core? So I read this book called The Power of Now. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yes, one. totally. And then like that one's, yeah. I like that one, but his second one is is better in my opinion. I think I, oh, I forgot what it's called, but he he essentially talks about how we don't need to develop more. We need to cut out what yeah. what isn't working and get back to what we originally were, and then have a perspective as an adult being like a little kid again, essentially totally. going back. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yes. And, and I, I do that. So when I meditate every morning, that's essentially what I'm trying to do is just cut out all the, the garbage and crap and kind of see what the core is. Cause I don't know if you do this, but do you think back to like when you were a kid and go, Oh, I feel like I'm that exact same person when I was a kid. Uh, like that part of me is still there. And that's where I go. Totally. Oh, that's probably the true core of who I am. And then when you're here, you're going, but I reacted to the world way differently back then. And so why is it different now? And is there things that I can unlearn or take apart and get rid of that can get me back to that place? And so Beautiful. do you do a lot of that? Like looking at totally. That's it. Yeah. I was just, so this morning I was reconnecting and in my meditation went to this place of play. Like what would, what did play? Like where was I the most free as a child? And I think, I think sometimes we can be afraid to go back there because it's like, what does that have to do with? But it's exactly like yeah. the core essence of me. So then now knowing, like having done this work, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in the water. Like these memories that are popping up, I'm, I'm swimming and I'm outside and adventuring. And one of the prompts was like, what books did you love reading? And I love choose your own adventure, like choose your ending. Like, you know, do you know those books like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. where there's not a right way you get to choose. Right. So so totally. And I love how beautifully you said the unlearning, right? Because we pick up all these messages. So I really, truly believe we're born with an inherent, inherent magic. Like yeah. that that's unique to us and part of our journey. And we, that does get maybe dampened down by our experiences in the physical world and things that happen to us and the lack of maybe support and processing what's happening to us along the way. And so we pick up all those messages that then as adults, we can unlearn because now we can create a sense of safety in, in this moment, right? Yeah. In our reality. So that we're safe to 
tap into that play and magic and creativity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. We do. We're, we are on such similar journeys. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. I know I like that's why I'm, I'm jacked. You decided to talk to me again. It's just <laughs> but this kind of leads into one of my big questions is because I've been asking a lot of the when I do these podcasts and mm-hmm. nobody really has a straight answer. But I just wanted to see if you had something similar, like what does a mentally healthy person look like to you? Like, I know being athletes, both of ourselves are like, here's the goal. Here's the standard. Here's the time. Here's the mark. Here's the the medal. Here's whatever it is. Like, where are you trying to help people get to, or where are you trying to help yourself get to? Or is it different where you're like, there's no place to get to. I'm just trying to be okay. That's it. Totally. There's no arriving. Right. And I think that's one of the misconceptions of to come back to you. And so to give full credit, the two fist idea is Becky Kennedy, Dr. Becky Kennedy. She's the, she has a whole platform. Um, and this idea of like, when we in sport think like, Oh, if I just get there, right. Like we think we're going to somehow have it, like it's going to be this fulfilling experience that then protects us from pain. At least that's what I thought. Or like, gives us that inner peace, that thing we're seeking as a human being that can't ever be found external. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's fun to hit goals, right. It's right. fun to knock those out. It's fun to challenge ourselves. And when we come from that place, I think that's a place we get a little misguided is that a lot of athletes move through the world with this, the two of us together. And so when they fall short, it's devastating because they are right. On, they fall below. Um, it feels good for a minute when you're here. Right. But this kind of core concept, so with that said, I think that mentally healthy, a mentally healthy person is one who's an expert for becoming, it's a constant journey of becoming an expert on themselves. Okay. And so doesn't mean they're not going to hit speed bumps, roadblocks. It doesn't mean they're gonna, not going to fall below the line and act in ways that they don't necessarily want to show up in the world. And it sure as heck doesn't mean they're going to be protected from automatic negative thoughts and the, you know, full range of emotions. And so someone who in my mind, what we're striving for when we talk about mentally healthy is able to recognize. So has a level of awareness. They're able to recognize what's happening internally and has a curiosity about what's happening versus that judgment that we can meet ourselves with. And then knows themselves or is learning and open to learning what works for them to help them regulate this nervous system that we have and and be and come back to that regulated state so that we can engage in the world in a way that's authentic to us and not just how we think we should. So yeah, it's just a process. So do you, do you see this? I'm stealing a page from Victor Frankl, but do you see that Mm -hmm. it's, it's a reaction that becomes kind of the issue without the awareness piece. And that's where a lot of the the issues and problems start taking place for not just athletes, but just everybody when Humans. they're on automatic instead of responding. Yeah. I guess we speak such the same language. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did I share with you last time? That book was the first book that was assigned to me when I was in the darkest place. But well, Victor Frankl, yeah. yeah, I was Man's Search for Meaning. It's amazing. I read it every year, yeah. actually, because it oh, cool. brings me back to a, a good place, you know, where you yeah. go, oh, man, this, this, guy, this guy had the, the awareness to, um, for, for people who don't know, Viktor Frankl was in the concentration camps, right? Yes. But he was a therapist, a Jewish therapist before he went in there. And so the whole time he's like watching subjects almost like a like an experiment <laughs> and himself, right? And himself, His awareness like of, case of, study. Of, totally yeah. like the internal world. I think that that even that awareness that we even have, like that was my introduction to it. Cause I always thought like this running narrator was just me. 
Yeah. Same. I didn't understand that there was this core essence of me and then the thoughts that I was thinking and the emotions that I was experiencing. So another really great book, Untethered Soul. Have you read that one? Yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. recommended that one too. Yeah. That's a good one. So good. So same kind of concept of understanding this awareness. So back to your question, do I, yes, I absolutely. I think that we, because when we're in that space of reacting, we're reacting from subconscious, like we're reacting from these places of pain and, and that kind of control and agency in our lives that allows us to really be present. I think when we're in that autopilot, we're not, I mean, we're, where are we? I don't know, mental time traveling somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> right? So when we are present and engaged, like that's where you can touch joy and in just the experience of like living and what it means to be alive. So yes. And I, I mean, I still, I don't know about yourself, like it's hard to create that space between, you know, it takes a lot of willingness to fall and repair back, right? Like circle back and see like, what could I do differently here to set myself up? Right. So that I'm not stepping on these little minds. (laughs) What can I do? What's helpful? Like where can I channel this energy? If I do happen to step on one, or something activates me. So that's what my trauma, like the most recent trauma with my daughter's heart surgery, uh, which almost nine years ago taught me. Yeah. Because I like having to live in that state, that post-traumatic state was so like, that as hard as I tried, I could not control when the triggers came as much as I wanted to, you know? And so learning like, okay, when this happens, how can we create space? to notice, even if it's just a moment to pause. Yeah. So yeah, I think one of the most powerful tools and skills out there is the power of the pause. It gets right. so simple just to stop. Right. And it's hard. So yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's, there's two things I want to ask you. The first one is, yeah. do you think you had that, some of those traumatic responses before that, that experience itself, like that aided mm-hmm. into that? Versus if you think you had the awareness prior, that whole experience might have not been as oh. traumatizing for you. I mean, it's it's a totally. horrible thing that happened, but yeah. um, could it have been a little less than, do you think? Totally. Yeah, because I think about my experience and what I unpacked and then what I've learned since about trauma. And I had, I mean, when I start to list and I, I'm going to kind of, I think Ace's, the adverse childhood experiences is important and part of the conversation and it's limited, yeah. in my opinion it doesn't capture a lot of other things that can be considered trauma. And so when I look back, like, yes, there was a lot of trauma, complex trauma in my childhood that absolutely 100% contributed to that moment being as like earth shattering truly like cracking open. I don't even know how, I don't even have words to capture like the level of um, breaking open that it was for me, you know, and and where it landed me. So, and I'm grateful for it, which is kind of weird to say. And it just is, it's one of those both and things, you know, because I would not, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard people explain it like you got to break something to rebuild it sort of a thing. And that's how I felt when I, you know, had two traumatic mental health breaks where you go, Oh man, the first one I don't feel like held very well. It was just like a crack in the armor. And the second one was like complete obliteration, obliteration. And then putting the pieces back together, you got to go, Oh, this piece isn't that helpful. (sighs) Throw that away. Rebuild this in a better way. And there's part of me that's like, especially with meditating every morning, I'm going, am I 
do I want to be the solid piece or do I kind of want to be this loosey goosey <laughs> flowy kind of pull pieces in as needed because life feels like that and feels very fluid and constantly growing at the same time. I don't want to be a rigid cup anymore. (laughs) Yeah. No no more rigidity. Yeah. So healthy. So that's another area like healthy boundaries. You're bringing up for me like healthy boundaries because that's such a big part of this healing process for me. So not rigid and not porous. What's that? So everything in this whole journey has like, it's this both end. It's this. It's the space between, which allows for that flexibility and that adaptability. I think that is so beautiful, and I also think that goes back to that question of what, like, a mentally healthy person is someone who can dance in that space. Who, sure, at times maybe touches rigid or porous and finds their way back to that space of is aware enough to know. Oh, yeah, right. I'm not where I want to be. So, yeah, yeah that, that awareness piece seems hard for people, like, especially if they've never experienced it before. Mm-hmm. I don't maybe maybe you can speak on this, but I've had better luck with athletes and I have just regular people because they can at least bring awareness to movements or patterns or something like that. And you go, hey, oh, just yeah. take that focus and move it to what your thoughts are doing or how you're mm-hmm. feeling. And then they can go, oh, I've never they'll, they'll at least try it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, There's, uh, I would, yeah, because I, I think that athletes because we're moving our physical bodies through the world and we're so used to taking cues and paying attention to where our body is in physical space, there's this like higher level awareness already. That's part of either it's honed and it's, or you were drawn to the sport or kind of a combination of both. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, so I don't know. I don't know. I think there's variation too within populations. So it's hard for me to say, but in like, like the general population, um, I guess most of my work is inside the athletic arena, some outside of it, but but I think there's even variation because in the general population, you still have athletes, former athletes, right? Yeah. yeah. Or people who have like given birth, right? And you know, you like nothing like being called into your body for that process, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that I think you're onto something though with the, like that is the first critical step is how do we help people even become aware? Right before diving into then all the tools of like, how do you challenge the inner critic and all these things? It's like, pause, like you have an inner narrator. Yeah. What's that sounding like, you know? And so there are really cool exercises that I use. I don't know if you do any of this to, to bring, you know, like with ice and this crackers or candy or even like wall squats or planks and things that help people to move them into a space where you can guide them through gentle questioning while they're doing the experience to then introduce them to that space of like, Hey, got this talk going on. What's it sound like? You know, right. yeah. I love it. So, so can you, can you break this down a little bit with, so I haven't done it with crackers or candy or whatever. Yeah. So how do you, how do you do that? Is this part of when you, is it, is it, I know the, the name's kind of long, so I don't want to butcher it, but this. Oh, the mindful uh, sport per- performance. Oh, the, the academy. You're talking yeah. About? Well, yeah. the academy. And then you do, you also have been going to, you know, schools and yeah. talking in front of people is, are these the types of things you're, you, you so dep- yes, yes. Yeah. And it depends on what, um, what I'm being called to do. Okay. So, you know, it ranges from like, if it's mental health advocacy and storytelling, then I'll share my story. Um, and even, I would say even in sharing stories, even listening to podcasts, like when we're listening, we're going like, Oh, maybe like we start to hear these concepts and then pay attention differently in our lives. And that's really what mindfulness is about, right? Paying attention with curiosity in this moment 
So uh, when I'm doing so working with a team or do running a workshop, then I will often like I go back to my teaching like engaging activity at the opening, right? And so that might be an opening activity where we're doing wall sits or the candy one. That's fun because of course, right? Yeah, candy. Like <laughs> Although that one's interesting in the sporting arena because there's that's just that can also bring you want to make sure you're doing the best that we can to like honor where people are at and not be activating other things. Right. So it's impossible to prevent all of that. Right. Um, but engaging in, so the mindful, it's mindful eating, but you just using it with candy. And okay. I, util, I use the mindful sport performance enhancement kind of, there's, it's an awesome book that anyone can buy actually. Can yeah. I actually got it. You told me. Yeah. That last yeah. Time. Did you, have you had a chance to dive into it? I haven't. Uh, yeah. If you should, if you could see my library of books, it's totally. a little thing. I bet yours looks the same way. Totally. <laughs> it's on the and, list. So. <laughs> and I will not, no, we won't. We can purge and declutter everything in this house except the books. The yeah. Books. <laughs> Don't touch the book. So, so they use, they have guided scripts in there. Um, and, and then you learn as you go, right. As you do these and you, you know, kind of guiding people through the, experience of, of like activating their senses. So let's say the candy. So the candy is, you know, first it's in its wrapper and then there's this unwrapping. And so you're moving way slower than people would. Move. I mean, when we eat candy, we're like ripping the wrapper off, popping it in and barely tasting it for most of us. Right. right. And so slowing it down to really intentional movements and then like interjecting, like notice where your thoughts are going. Like you might be wondering why I'm taking so long. I'm feeling irritated and I did an activity recently with wall sits and someone, when we were debriefing, because this is the part that's important, right? So you do the activity, moving them through with questions. And then the debrief is where the magic, like that's where you just, it's gold. Like you just step back, kind of get out of the way and ask the questions to facilitate the conversation. <laughs> One of the athletes was like, I felt such irritation toward you. Like I was really annoyed by <laughs> because they were in physical pain, right? Like, yeah. why am I doing this? And then you had others who were like, I know we have a hard workout tomorrow. So like, I'm, I was just not interested. But I'm like, <laughs> so, and again, the point of mindfulness is to bring you to a space of conscious choice. So that's beautiful too. Cause I wasn't saying, you know, you know, you have, you want, you want people to get to that place where they're making the decision to engage yeah. in the ways they want. And then you can, you know, playing with pain. So there's, there's um, one with ice, and so that one's really, when we talk about that reaction, like Victor Frankl's experiences and what he talks about, it's like the impulses come, like ice goes flying, hands drop, like it, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's, but, and you bring, and I, you can see me smiling, I don't know if people listening to the podcast can hear it, but it's like bringing in a playfulness, you know, I think oftentimes we think of mindfulness as someone sitting like cross-legged on you know, the mat and that's kind of off-putting for many people because it's yeah. scary and unknown and maybe not comfortable. And so in these activities where they're experiencing and we can make it playful and not like so rigid, it can open up such space for introspection. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. So I love, I love, that's a big part of when I'm planning activities with groups. So in a keynote setting or like a large group space, there's some, there are activities that I'll interject, but not, not in that way. It's more of like doing that with groups where you can facilitate good conversation. I yeah. love that. I, yeah. I started my last few talks with, uh, it, it's similar. I wish I had, now I'm going to bring candy to all of them, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have everyone imagine a lemon and then I, I yeah. get their, I get 
I just describe what it smells like, I, yeah. sour, um, what it tastes like on their tongue, how they can peel it apart. You know, you break it. Same kind of idea. You just as my mouth waters exactly, totally and that was yeah. and that was the idea. Is to I asked everyone, did you get the feeling in your jaw? Did you, does your mouth water? And they and then I go like, that's how powerful thoughts are. There's no lemon in front of you, but these are. This is why it's important to bring awareness to thoughts. And then I go into like the the presentation after that. But it's that's cool. Yeah, most people seem to that usually kicks it. Like, oh my god, yeah, why is this happening? What am I thinking? Yes. And they go, what am I thinking about? Just like you said, it brings that yes. awareness piece, which which seems really powerful. At the That's point. really cool. Yeah. Because you're, so you're priming them and then you're making it important and relevant to them to listen to you. Like, why should I care about this? You're like, because your mouth just watered. And yeah. Your, your mouth jaw, just like, watered. Tightens. And now you're, you can see them all drinking water afterwards. Like, Oh, I'll get this out of my mouth. <laughs> That's so funny. And, uh, um, I, I probably shouldn't do this one. I've, I've been wrestling with this, but at the last one I tried it and got a few chuckles, but I was, my wife would like, we're pretty jokey. She was so she would fake hit me in the ball sometimes, you know, it's like, ah, you know, kind of, and you would go, she's like, I didn't even hit you. It didn't even hurt. I'm like, you have no, it did hurt. You know, my, my brain made it, made it hurt. And when I would say that to the guys in the last class, they were like, oh yeah, we can think about that. And we're going to get a stomach ache for sure. Like oh that's, our thoughts are powerful, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's so funny. but yeah. Well, and also visceral, like or vicarious learning, like witnessing, you know, those mirror neurons are going like, what? Yeah. yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Or if you ever seen those old shows on MTV where people are breaking their legs or something, you're like, oh my God, oh my leg God. starts hurting. It's like yeah. funniest home videos. Same thing. Where Same people crash thing. And you're like, yeah, they actually, they, so I can't remember who, I don't remember who the study was by. I remember teaching it though when I was in the classroom and it, and there's a video of like, so talking about mirror neurons, are you familiar? Yeah. With, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So like a guy carrying a box down the street and you, like, that's the, you're share, sharing that with the class and you see the whole class, like trying to <laughs> go to help the guy, like hold the boxes. So it's so powerful. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause pole vault coaches get that a lot. You, you see them, we call it the coaches lean. Oh, so the going over, they go <laughs> to try and help their athlete get over the bar. Yeah. It happens all the time. I never, yeah. I never put that together. That's just more that's neurons. So funny. Yeah. It's a coaches lean. Just. <laughs> they feel like they can help them get over. That'd be a funny video. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I got to write oh that God. one down. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Make sure you tag me in that one. Yeah. Uh, so, love I, so here's another question. Do you think, so I, I was asked to, um, ordain a wedding, my brother's wedding, this, and it, and that was a whole trip in and of itself. Cause you go personally, I don't really, I don't really like the idea of, of marriage. Like, government being tied into things, but I love the idea of the commitment. So I have this like weird yeah. battle with it. Yeah. And then I was asked to marry them. Right. So then I'm like, Oh man, I'm in this really weird position, but they asked me to do it for a reason. So, yeah. um, so for about six weeks, I like rewrote the speech 14 times. It felt like, oh, you know, like throw it away, <laughs> start over. But it made me really think about, um, like love, like at this point, mm -hmm. right. And what it really is. And, mm -hmm. and then my brother said, one of the, the something that just kind of poked my brain in a good way. But he goes, I don't like thinking about love because if I have to try and describe it, it takes away from the experience in and of, in and mm -hmm. of itself. I just mm -hmm. like to sit in it and have it. Yeah. And he, and then he goes, I like to do that with everything, whether it's play or all these other things. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of, it kind of messed with me a while. Cause I go, if you bring awareness to this play part, can it take away from the experience in and of itself? And have you, have you noticed that at oh, all? Or do you find so it? Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. In the space with you. 
So, so where my mind went was, so like a state of being and when we're, it's kind of like flow, like when we're completely immersed in the present moment, we're not thinking about the present moment. Right. So there isn't, so what that sounds like what he's describing. So the awareness and the um, regulation, like are the skills, like those, that's the prerequisite to then tap into and dance in these spaces. Cause I don't know how long we, I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever done a measurement of that or how you would even capture that, but like how long right. we can stay in those spaces of pure presence. That's what it feels like. Yeah. So then we dance out right in the awareness is, is that kind of moving in more to our thinking brain. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So I, yes, I'm, I'm with him. Cause when <laughs> yeah. you start to think about what you're thinking about, almost like moving into this meta state of like, when we're thinking about what we're thinking, what we're doing, we're in now in our thoughts and not totally immersed in that present moment experience. Yeah. Yeah. For up here, not in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was just kind of fascinating. Cause I've been, Throughout all these podcasts and research, it seems like step one is always awareness. So it was like, yeah. how do you get people to be aware? 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 And then he was, he kind of flipped that on and said, when I am aware, I'm not in it. And I go, oh man. So it's like, how, how can you differentiate when you're in a flow state versus when you're in this um, software program, you know, that we've kind of developed over time? Mm-hmm. And, and how can you turn the awareness off enough to be in the flow? but then you're vulnerable mm. to maybe be sucked back into that other space. What's the other space? Well, Same I guess like um, re- reacting to tr- trauma, you know, in an unhealthy yeah. way or something that's painful. And the only, yeah. the only way I've gotten to this a little bit is to go, if it's causing a massive amount of pain to me, that's mm. like a fire alarm to pay attention. Yeah. So if it, if it, if you can check in every once in a while without yeah. hopefully letting the, the, um, line of flow go away (laughs) well i think our minds will wander they will something will pull our attention at some point yeah yeah it's this is such a great this is like fascinating to me this i love neuroscience so this yeah i don't know if it's even yet to be explored in the is it the huberman lab andrew yeah huberman huberman yeah Yeah. it sounds like a question he would totally be exploring for sure yeah yeah in, in his lab um yeah, I don't know if I haven't, I don't know, I don't know what, that I'm just, it's a fascinating thing to think about. I think when we, that kind of cultivating the skills, the awareness is so critical to know, like, I don't, it's a prerequisite. So having that awareness, the attentional awareness and regulation, and then emotional awareness and regulation is a prerequisite to access and enter flow state, right? So we, yeah. we need to have those skills in order to access the space. And then I say it's like, place of play and dance. And so when we're in that space, how I like internalize it is we're, we're, we're in our, we're fully in our bodies. Yeah. So like if we're in harmony, like there's this mind body connection and we got our prefrontal cortex and our limbic system, like they're, we're all online, right. And able yeah. to, to access this thing that we're doing. So when our attention gets pulled, we step out of that space. And so having the awareness and the regulation to be able to re-anchor back in that's like a doorway that allows us to re-enter flow. Yeah. And I don't know how long we can stay. And I don't know that flow then moves into that place. That's a really cool question of like, does flow, like when you're in that space, 
can that then send you into a place of, you know, that autopilot in a way? That's, yeah, can you autopilot flow? I don't know. Great. <laughs> well, the, so I mean, that's kind that, of what flow yeah. is, right? Well, we, so, oh my gosh, I pull my book out. We had this really beautiful discussion when I did my training around this. And the, so autopilot, like, is part of flow. So there's this, like, rub between this mindfulness curriculum and then, and then um, the nine elements of flow state. And so we were just, like, kind of rumbling in that space of how you tap into it. And then Magnus, do you follow Steve Magnus's work? Yeah, yeah, yep. Evan around, Magnus. yeah, his book, it's fantastic, just around how we can have high-level performance and actually, like, be fully feeling and, like, have it be pain, have it be a painful experience, but we're still able to tap into that really high performance or these extraordinary performances that we didn't think we could, what we were capable of. So, I don't know, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, no. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, I love that. I love asking questions like you said. This is what gets me fired up. Yeah, yeah me too. Actually, yeah. it's, that the flow state was one of those first things I started exploring too. Because yeah. have you read this book called? Uh, I think it's called Stealing Fire. No, it's really good. They. Uh, okay. th- that's when I always revert back to. They have a. There's a. They study flow in Arizona. That, like they have this whole facility where they all they do is study flow states and they've cool. done things with navy seals where um they can get flow between four people you know uh, oh, they call cool. it group think or group flow kind of an idea mm-hmm. and you've probably know all about this with athletes and stuff too yeah. but they would kick certain seals out who weren't good for the group even if they were stronger faster better shots and all these other yeah. things because the group was stronger than everything else and they talked about yeah. ways how to get into flow state Oh, whether it cool. was yeah, whether it was exercise or meditation or group things, or they even brought in psychedelics yeah. and talked about how that can help with neuroplasticity yeah. and, and things like that. But it's fascinating. So You'll like that book. Hold on. I'm gonna totally buy that as soon as we yeah. get <laughs> It's good. I really, I like that one a lot, actually. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it is fascinating and it's so fun. It's fun to play in that space and think about yeah, like how a lot so the word comes to me is like alignment, alignment and this in that just right space of the challenge being right. And like that efficacy of knowing we, we can do this thing and it's just right there, right out of reach. So I think that's what lights me up. And we're coming back to that authentic, like younger child playing. It was like what stories I read and the, and who, what I was dreaming about in my spare time, like comes back to that of like constantly pushing the edge trying to understand things to then be able to teach it. It's just, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so what you were thinking about as a kid, not, you don't have to share if you don't want to, yeah. are you doing a lot of that same stuff now that you were able to get rid of some of these barriers that maybe were preventing them right. for a long time? Like that was what's, I got probably start to tear up. Like I feel really grateful. Like I, I am, I mean, especially over the past few years with all the curveballs that we've gone through collectively, um, cause it was 2016, I, th- I can't remember if I shared that moment with you last time when I went during the Rio games, when I opened events. Did I talk about that story with you? You did what? <clears throat> what did I share that story with you? I don't want to repeat what I've already shared with the, with the, when the Rio Olympics were on and my daughters wanted me to pull out the bins from oh, no, my Olympic no, stuff. I haven't shared this one. That was Barry. So 16 years. So, you know, I accomplished a lot as an athlete and before this breaking open, right. With my daughter's heart surgery and that trauma and healing from it. But it wasn't just that, like you mentioned, it was a lot of trauma, a lot of layers in my childhood. And so that kind of 
experience got shoved in boxes truly. And I presented with the world or to the world in a way that I thought the world wanted to see an Olympic gold medalist. Like I kind of conjured up this idea of who I was supposed to be and what was tolerable and what was not about like talking about my experience, shopping off all the things that were really hard. Yeah. Right. Not, not the things that the, that our culture loves, like the greedy stuff of the weight room work and that, like that stage. But when it came to mental health challenges and navigating those darker spaces and my relationship with myself and food, um, that stayed in that bin, yeah. bins, many, all of them. So it was like all my medals, all the, like all the stuff that I dreamt about when I was a little kid being able to experience and, when we were watching Rio, my kids were old enough to have four daughters. My kids were old enough, the three older ones, um, to realize like, wait, you know them? Wait, you did that? Hold on. Like that tattoo you have on you is that the, like they were just connecting <laughs> all these dots. <clears throat> and I was newly postpartum with my youngest. And of course, like there's a lot of hormones flowing through and just this experience of having four daughters and witnessing them on pack my stuff because they went down the basement and they're like okay why well, I don't know why you don't have this stuff out like we're gonna put on all your gear <laughs> and then I'm like oh wow our gear is so like 2000 it's like so yeah. like no 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 but they had fun with it putting it all on and it, it was in that moment that I found my journals um, my log books from my like 16 17 18 year old self 19 year old self and when I opened them it was like you ever have those moments where it just like you just feel alone, like the entire world around you freezes. And it's like just this tunnel of like being with what was in front of me. And I could not believe like it was with compassion that I did not have during the healing process of moving into recovery from an eating disorder and like putting the pieces together and all of that from my younger self. So there was this, mother now mm. with having healed or healing from this really traumatic experience, learning how to talk to myself with kindness, learning, like starting to see how the trauma of that young girl played into my role as an athlete and, and reading those words just like rocked me. And I went, Oh my gosh, like that was when I decided to come back into athletics because I was oh, wow. doing entrepreneurship work and serving women. And that lights me up in a way that I can, I mean, it's, I love it. And also I couldn't ignore what the, the pulls just became overwhelming. I'm like, I looking at my kids, I'm like, what happens? Like what, what, how does, how does this happen? How does one talk to oneself this way, you know, <clears throat> in depriving of food and the language that was captured on the paper was the language of my inner critic, which is wild to see and also really painful. Yeah. So that moment for me was like, okay, like I'm going to figure this out. Like, can we, that's where that question that I, when I present, it's always part of it, part of my presentations and conversations is that question I rumbled with was, can we cultivate greatness and be healthy? Like, can we do both? And at first, even in that moment, I was like, I don't know, because we were, I was watching Rio and watching former teammates and people I swam with make really bad decisions. And I'm like, as human beings, even though they were doing well in the water and you're like, can we do both? I don't know. Or do you have to like, just sacrifice your human self to be great? 
So that's what led me. So the, the, the questions you're throwing out, like I, that, these questions energize me in a way that I don't, I don't know. I'm so, I'm such a learner. Like I want to know, I want to understand. I'm, I'm so driven by curiosity. And so that led me deep into like, thankfully my husband's in academics and he supports, he works at Williams college. So I'm like, I need a library card. So yeah. <laughs> I have access to all these awesome journals. I spent hours, hours, I mean, years of time in that library, researching, reading, sifting through, trying to piece, piece things together. And so then that kind of, that, that was serves as a foundation for what I teach now in pulling out and identifying like, what are those evidence supported practices that help us not only as athletes achieve an access flow state and tap into that, but also help us as human beings, like when it comes to protective factors with our mental well-being or healing from trauma. And so when you ask that question, am I doing like that young kid, what she was doing, I played school constantly. (laughs) And I was like reading textbooks because a neighbor had like, when she was an administrator in the school and happened to have this like box of like teacher edition textbooks, like this was my biggest joy as a kid yeah. is like learning and reading and then teaching with my little chalkboard. Um, and then being able to like witness greatness and just get curious about like, how are they? So yeah. So all of it. And then adventure, of course, and the choose your own ending. I, that's so a part of my authentic self that was buried. Right. When I was like oh, trying yeah. to like, gold medal <laughs> here's That's how i'm supposed ending. to be here's yeah. how i'm supposed to look act talk all of it and now i'm like i can pivot and actually if i don't pivot then i'm like i start to get really frustrated and and i feel weighed down and boxed in and i just i'm not made for boxes so i think yeah i, I also was admired when i was younger disruptors so like probably way before your time, but Punky Brewster. Oh yeah. And I, I haven't watched, is. I didn't watch it a lot, but uh, yeah, I know what it is. But she was like, I loved her. Like she just like be outside, like outside the box, disrupting yeah. the system. So always drawn to that. And then my favorite movie when I was younger was cutting edge in top gun. Like these two, <laughs> have you ever seen cutting edge? I don't think I have. Actually. Okay. It's I'll like Charlie on VHS. I don't know if these movies make it into digital. It I'm a movie but, dork. So, so it's two figure skaters and, um, a pair. Oh, and I've it, seen that toe pick, right? Toe pick. Yeah, totally. And I just, the fact they were going for the Olympics, like that they were athletes, that they were competing and like pushing each other, like all of it, like that, that, that and then Top Gun, right? Like just yeah. cu- like pushing the edge has always been a part. And I think I have to like this conversation is actually so beautifully refreshing for me because being in a world that wants you to fit in a box, right, is yeah. hard. It kind of you get a little beat up from it. And so reminding myself of like, nope, it's okay to be a disruptor and not fit in a box. And actually, that's where I thrive, and and yeah. that's where I find my flow. So, yes, same. I I have a similar story where. It wasn't Punky Brewster, but I, I fell into that <laughs> punk rock phase where, like, the music, it was, you know, like, you grow up listening to your parents' music, and you think, totally. oh, this is, that's music I like, and then you find something else finally, and then you go, oh, I really hated their music the whole time. <laughs> like, that was, that was my experience, and I found, like, punk rock. It started with, like, pop punk, and then it went yeah. all down to, like, The Clash and NoFX and all these, like, really pop-punk bands that were just pushing against society or the way things were. Not even society, just, like, question this, question that, question this, question that. 
And so then I really resonated with that because that's who I was. Like as a kid, yeah. I was somebody who just wanted to see if I could. I guess that's the best way to put it. I love that. Can I do that? Can I see if I can do that? Can I see if I can do that? Can I see if I can yeah. do this? And my my dad, a few, or I took all the home videos we had a few years on VHS and put them on a you know, like a flash drive. And so I got to go through 19, whatever, 85 through. Wow. And I was going, oh my God, there's my brother riding like a little four wheeler or something. And he's still riding four wheelers in snow. He's like a machine guy. And here's me going down a slide headfirst and then backwards and upside down and backwards and then trying to spin and then trying to jump off the slide. I just want to see how many different ways I could experience it, you know? And I still do that. And so as you're saying, um, I need to pivot all the time. I I wrestle with that a lot because I go, what we're told, and I don't know if you're told this too, but it's yeah. consistency and staying yeah. on the same path and consistency and consistency and consistency yeah. and consistency. And I go, I get so sick of consistency yeah. that I want to try something completely different, you know? Oh, and, and so, uh, yeah, this is refreshing for me too, finding somebody else who's, because yes. I, I don't know if there's a lot of us or if we're just, we don't talk very much. <laughs> yeah, there's probably, yeah. I think, so learning this is another like portal to explore is human design. Have yeah. you, have you, have you just oh, for sure. played the nuts? Have you? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, what's your energy type or are you, or cause it's human design around like human design and thinking and planning. And so human design, it's like, it's, you could, people that are not, um, a lot of people, I would say general cop would say like, that's woo woo shit. Like that's not for me. Not for me it's, either. I need data not, and science and not for you. Yeah. Like the, so it's, not it's like astrology combined. It's really cool. So that I feel like has been a massive permission slip for me to go, Oh my gosh, like my, like manifesting generator is the language with listeners that are familiar. And, um, that's my energy type. And it is like, so I have a card. This is, I'll show it to you because when I did my like little reading, it's like oh, cool. all the things, right. That remind me of like, it was almost affirming. Like I wasn't looking outward cause I don't, I'm not a fan of with all the work I've done and what I'm teaching. Like I'm not a fan of looking outward for people to tell me how to be. It was like, Oh, that's totally, it totally makes sense. Like yeah. it just helped me understand myself. And so one of the things is like with this energy type following joy and then that I'm, I'm not following that spark of creative energy and I'm trying to rail myself and put myself into a system to be consistent, let's say, or do, like I'm, I'm way out of alignment with actually my true self. So when you say how many of us, like, I don't know, you know, like the, when it comes to hard science says the master in science education, former <laughs> teacher lady that, that this, like I, the percentage of people, like there's probably way more people who yeah. are not talking about it, who are operating in the world because we think we need to. Because they're trapped. Than actually right? following the joy and what allows us to feel like lit up. That's the thing. You, you pay attention to what lights your body up. And if it's a hell yes or a yes, like we go. And if it's an eh yeah. or a no, we don't do it. But but that's yeah. why it's important. I feel like that we're talking about because we were those people in the box, right? Yeah. And it took some traumatic, crazy experience to go, Oh, it's broken now. Let's see yeah. if there's another way. And it helped us see that. And so yeah. I, my big question, if we're talking about big questions, is can you mm-hmm. get people to realize or see that without some crazy big experience? And that's where mm-hmm. I'm at my, I don't know, you know, yeah. there yeah. was this behavior 
in grad school, I forgot if I told you, but I got my master's in biomechanics next phys. And so we had this whole behavior change section where how to get people to change their behaviors. And the data was extremely clear that nobody wants to change their behaviors. They like the safe and comfort space. Because that's our brains, right? It makes sense. Yeah. And it makes Mm -hmm. sense. So Mm -hmm. unless there was some crazy thing that happened or Mm -hmm. where the, uh, the energy to change was bigger than the reason not to change. Like yeah. Nobody was going to change. And yeah. so when I was doing uh, part of my um, GA positionship was to train um, people, morbidly obese people with mental health issues and mm-hmm. help them, you know, get on the path. And what mm-hmm. we found over and over and over again was uh, these people were either told they were going to die if they didn't mm-hmm. get it. So that's a big change. Right. And mm-hmm. they worked their butts off or they had a wedding coming up or they said they couldn't walk their kid down the aisle or something Mm -hmm. like that. So they all had this big reason and those people changed and stuck to the program and, you know, did these things and saw the results versus the people who just came in and goes, I want to look good naked. You know, those people didn't last very long. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I guess that's, that's the question. I don't know if you run into that with athletes or anything too, or Mm -hmm. outside of the athletic spectrum is, can you, do you see people, grabbing onto these lessons that you're teaching without mm-hmm. having, you know, some traumatic experience going on. Yeah. I think when we connect, cause you, you, I think you nailed it with connecting with why, like when we get deeper, why not just the why on the surface, but the actual why, and we help people walk through like, what is it? What do they want? And actually pausing to ask, cause I don't know that we spend enough time doing that. Like, what do you really want? and planting those seeds and then helping them through questioning and in the guided process of what, why do you want what you want? Right. And when we're clear on that, I think that pulls us and I hear you on, a, you know, so <laughs> this conversation's come up a lot in the last couple of days as <laughs> I've been fielding strategy calls and um, like with camp- campus visits and just like how to structure things. And the, like what I've noticed good, bad, I don't know what we want to label it, just is, is that when in a conversation you can say come if you want, you're going to have early adopters come and those that are pushed for pain. And then those that probably need it, maybe most, are not going to come. Right. When you require and you have, or you have a coach that's saying like, let's, like, let's come to this conversation or come to this table, the transformation I've seen on the back end has been profound. Like that's, I mean, it's anecdotal. It's my experience, um, not capturing data in any way other than my like, witnessing and then hearing from coaches, hearing from the athletes themselves, you know, would they have come in if the coach didn't say, you need to be here, we're doing this as a team? Probably not. And have they been impacted to sit with what is it that they want and why? What is it that they're, like a really profound conversation with an athlete who, um, was starting to interject resistance into the group. And I welcome that. Like, I want that because that's what they're thinking and feeling. And I can so relate to that because I probably thought like so many of those thoughts, right. When it comes to this work and, and the, it's just like this beautiful opening on their own time too. That's the other yeah. thing. It's like, so I do, I, I, I believe that I hear you with the brain and the tendencies. I also think that when we teach people about the anatomy of the brain and neuroscience, we equip people with a knowledge of like, oh, my brain isn't going to like change and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to fight me on this. 
So we have this meta awareness of like, this is what's happening and why our brain is doing what we're doing. That's probably the most powerful work I would say inside the academy where I support athletes and, and coaches, honestly, um, is the anatomy and physiology, like the basics of the brain and what's happening around worry and mental time travel. And like, you're normal, like you're human. And this is what happens. Like, (laughs) this is what's happening. And so then, then there's like, oh, all right. So if we can equip humans with this knowledge of like what's happening in our, like this basic basics of what's happening in our human bodies, because we're human, not because there's something wrong with us. And then we go, okay, so yeah, it's way more comfortable to stay in these patterns. And also like, then you get down a path of beliefs. Like we're going to double down on what we believe because it's way, it's painful to, to challenge what we believe, you know, yeah. um, and supporting that process. So, so I can't say, I can't cite data to say like, yes, we can do it this way. I just, I feel like I know from experience that there's a pathway and that the why, like you mentioned and highlighted in your research, that when we get clear on our why, the deep, deep layers, that can be such a powerful motivator and as a starting point. And then we've got to help people understand those pulls to revert back and building new neural pathways and just helping them equip, helping equip them with the practices that are going to set them up for success to make the change. Yeah. yeah. So. I get, how how uncomfortable is it when you had that athlete pushing back on you? Like, were you in a? Because you had, to, I bet that hasn't that probably hasn't happened very often. So no, and it was such a powerful set. So I, I actually, this is true. Like I'm not, I'm not saying like I, I was, I was almost like elated because because I can so weird or not weird. I can feel energy. I feel energy in a room, and so I could feel that it was present. This resistance and kind of like body language wise, always respectful, but. And, um, it was like a door open. So there was this, it, for me, it was a massive sign that I'd created a container that was safe enough for them to share. Oh, and that, that was awesome. cool. Yeah. It was really cool. So for me, and I, um, the, you know, like affirmed that in the group setting and then privately just said, I, I really like, I truly appreciate it. I'm not just saying that I really appreciate this, this is how we generate because what you're thinking is being thought by others. So we're bringing it into the space to rumble, which that takes in my, like that takes courage. It takes courage to even consider what I have to say when your belief that you're holding is like, ultimately, and the the, the belief was like, this, this is, this is too soft. Like this is cupcake. I was like, after I'm like, I said to my husband, like cupcake, help me out. Like, what's cupcake? I knew the context, but he's like, Oh yeah. Cupcakes. And what do you say? Like cookies and candy or something. And I'm like, all right. Are you familiar with that language? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like frosting and soft. Yeah. Yeah. So totally the, the concept being soft and bullshit. Like this is just a bunch of bullshit. This isn't going to help us get better. Yeah. And that, you know, when there, there are like, there are public figures out there with uh, millions of followers that some of these athletes have shared that they follow. And I'm like, yeah, like no wonder you think this is because they're spewing shame hustle, and hustle culture. right? It's like so toxic and damaging. And you're just like, yeah, of course, if you're believing that and now I'm telling you this, they're telling you that this is bullshit and this is soft and weak and going to mess you up. Right. Yeah. And so now we have an opening to talk about actually what the science is telling us like what we know to be true about human behavior and, and, and how we can grow and perform 
So, yeah. yeah so isn't that, isn't that tough though, when you have, you can get results both ways, <laughs> but one yeah. feels better. Right. And yeah, I, well, I would where... argue, I would argue though with that, like you can yeah. get results, but at, like at what cost? No, ex- and also exactly. like how, how higher, like how we like, can't, could you go further? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I always, I've thought of it like this because I was very much, this is literally written in one of my journals. If, if a coach said I would jump higher, if I ate cardboard for a year, I would eat cardboard for a year. Like I was willing to just give anything like my body broke because I just pushed it too hard, you know? And we have these hustle culture guys going, do more. If you, if you've like, I just, I just watched this. I won't say the name, but he said he went to run his first ultra marathon, which is like a hundred miles. And at, at this race and at mile 60, his feet were bleeding and he passed out and he sat there for 30 minutes and was like, I'm not a bitch. I'm just going to get up and, and do it again. Right. And I'm like, your feet are bleeding. And then he, Oh, and he literally said he was peeing blood and I'm going, shouldn't that be a sign to maybe yeah. <laughs> stop? Right. Yeah. But then at the end, he's like, then I finished my hundred and I felt great. And you go, well, it got you the hundred miles. But if you had, what, you, what else? Well, that's exactly. what I want to know. Like, like what does that mean about you? And that's my question too, is yeah, like you, he definitely got the results by pushing that. And I think a lot of young people, especially young people go, if I push hard enough, it'll work. And I'm a, I'm a firm yeah. example of that. I pushed really hard and I got to work. But as you said, at what cost? What could I'm you here. have done if you had supported yourself? Exactly. Because here's where, oh, hang with me for a minute. Like, yeah. we go right into your story and we say, that part of you that had that, like, it was like flipping forward, backwards, rolling sideways, doing all the things like that was seeing what was possible is so pure. And so that part of you that was driven and hungry, that doesn't go away, right? When you... So if we had supported, like if you had had the supports around you to meet yourself when you fell with kindness and curiosity and nourish your body, like, holy, who knows what could happen? Yeah. yeah if I had a coach instead of cardboard, <laughs> try, yeah. try so the we just, <laughs> but we like sell this story around and we get like, really, like we just, we, I think that we think collectively that they're there, that he's better than the rest of us. Like he, right. We come back to two fists, like that, like he's here, right. He's, he's better. Like, because he did this thing, like he's better. No, he's here just like everybody else. So he did this thing. Okay. What does it mean? doesn't change who he is. Right. But we, I think we like as a culture think in, and I can say when I was sick, right. And, and really navigating a dark space, like I thought I was better than other people because I did certain things. So guess what happened when I fell short? I was in the dumps of shame. Like it was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have, that's like my, you, you hit a, you hit a button in me because that is something I feel like we don't talk about enough. We finish the story short around these examples of people, you know, uh, like dude, Michael Phelps was a teammate, like already accomplished and what he endured and all of the hard that he was navigating on the surface. Like people will say, Oh, like, you know, like that's like look how good he was and i say that guy i was around when he had his lactate testing seen his feet how big they are like his work ethic was like you can't even so we can't say for sure but like what if that inner language and inner narrator was actually kind and supportive like holy we have no idea we just think because the achievement was great 
that there would couldn't have been something greater. And I just challenged that. Like maybe, like, maybe not. Yeah. Oh, but like, that's a really good way of saying that. Like at what cost? Cause that guy reaches the end. We go back to that example. Like, what does it mean? Like, what does that, what is he making it mean? That's the, that's where I would want to like go in and like, what are you making it mean about you as a human being? Like you're already worthy. You're already loved. So like, if you operate from this place, like, sure, there are going to be people that don't do sports and quit things and move, like don't do the job that they have because they're like, I'm only doing it to hustle and prove it's not actually, but then what's the fallout? We have people that are actually living lives that are authentic to them and meaningful and whoa, like, I think the world might be a little bit different. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, and that's what I ran into where you go. When I do operate from those flow states, it's like I, uh, no matter how much energy I put out, I have more energy to eat. Yeah. It's like an unlimited source of energy. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But when I operate from that other place, it depletes pretty quick. And then you go, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't do A, B, or I did A, B, and C, but I didn't do D, E, and F. And now I feel like a piece of garbage because I didn't yeah. finish the second half. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why I'm happy we brought it, we got into flow states almost by accident because I was like, yeah. that's that's where I'm trying to operate more from, yeah. and um, and, and maybe you've been here. We talked about this a little bit, but it seems like a lot of those um, software programs or thoughts, or I've heard someone say it's like if you don't if you don't challenge it, it's like having a cassette tape. If if we're if I'm aging myself now in your car, and every time yeah. you go, oh, it's yeah. the same song over and Wait, over again. Sean, we have a car. <laughs> paid for yeah and we just will not let it go because i'm like oh really do we need one right now in this market it yeah. works beautifully we just got new tires it has a cassette tape <laughs> and my awesome. girls were like what is this thing <laughs> what's that little rectangle what is this <laughs> i've got some mixed tapes we can play <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Anyways, awesome. yes i'm sorry so i just went to the my mind just went to that space. So you're saying <laughs> the tapes playing. So in, you were talking about playing in the oh, background. Yeah, no, I, I just heard someone explain the, the program or the, I've always described like your neural pathways as like grooves in snow. Mm. You know, the more you go over the groove, the deeper it gets and the easier it is to fall back into it. And then a big traumatic experience is like having a beam fall in your snow and it creates a big deep groove right away. Yeah. And it's, it only has happened once, but it's hard to get out of, mm-hmm. right? And so having the awareness that you're in a groove allows you to start on a different place in the hill or mm-hmm. let the groove kind of fill back in. It's not going to say it's going to be gone completely because there's just going to be snow on top. Mm-hmm. But um, what I was told as a, at a young age was that you have depression and anxiety and it's part of your life and you're going to be stuck with mm-hmm. it the rest of your life. And doing these podcasts in uh, the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, I've been able to challenge that and go, mm-hmm. oh, we have neuroplasticity and you can change these things. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not a, just a crazy chemical imbalance that everyone's mm-hmm. told me since I was a kid. And it, actually, I've come to believe that it's not at all for me a chemical. I know. Do you see the latest literature about that? Yeah, it's insane, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like being on antidepressants for... Uh, since I was 10 years old and then being completely off of them Mm -hmm. against doctor's orders and feeling better than I ever have now, Mm -hmm. just by challenging thoughts. And I know I'm not recommending that to anybody. (laughs) Don't, don't ignore your doctors, but I'm saying for it not working for 15, 20 years for me going, Mm -hmm. why am I still doing this? Yeah. And I forgot if I told you this in the last podcast, like the idea with these podcasts originally Mm -hmm. was to see what depression actually looked like in my brain and yeah. then do what people like you would recommend 
and then see if I could change it. So the first mm -hmm. gentleman I talked to, he was like, I told him this. I was like, I'm going to get an MRI. I'm going to do a CAT scan. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to see what depression looks like. I'm going to do blood mm -hmm. tests, see what it looks like in my, wherever it, I can find it. Yeah. And then I'm going to have a measurement because I'm a data dork, right? And then I'm going to yeah. do all these things for <laughs> six months, take those tests again, and, and then see how it changed. Yeah. And he just go, and I thought about this for two years. So I'm like, I got my plan. I'm ready to yeah. go. Just like I wrote a training plan. Like, here we go. Yeah. And he goes, you're not going to find anything. And, I, yeah. and this, this was like 10 minutes into the conversation. And I'm like, what? And he goes, depression's just a collective of symptoms. It's, yeah. it's not anything in you. And it was, out of, and I probably heard that a few times in the past, but never so like clearly. Oh, and then it wow. made me go, yeah. Well, what's causing the symptoms? And that question tweaked everything. Where I go, oh, I've been trying to solve all these symptoms my entire life <laughs> instead of trying to find what's causing them. And then the when root. I started, the root. And when I started finding those and and navigating those, then life started becoming awesome again. Because yeah. I wasn't afraid of depression anymore. It was like uh, then I was welcoming it in a way, like, oh, why why am I feeling this? Instead yeah. of going, I need to take this, 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 or numb this, or watch, or edit, or work, or do something mm -hmm. to make it go away. Then I started going. I need to, I need to lean into this and see where it's coming from, and then it gives me my answers. Yeah. yeah, our bodies is, talk to us. Yeah, they do, and yeah. but that's that awareness piece and knowing where to look at the same time. Totally, I love your snow piece there because that oh, so profound. And I say I think like the beam can also happen what I've been learning about trauma is like that can happen. Those grooves, like the one or the, even the ski tracks that like, get worn over time. And so like repeated things, it might not be one big thing that happens. And also trauma patterns can also be laid by like re reoccurring small yeah. things right, right over time. Yeah. And this idea of root, that is like <laughs> another place I feel like I'm a disruptor in the world because I'm like that collective message to put a band-aid on it to, to just like have that quick fix we're so of course we look at our brains like that feels like we want that right we want the quick fix and change is hard and also turning inward and sitting with emotions and sitting with our physical body and healing is hard yeah and i would argue that like living and trying to like just slap one thing you know and i'm not anti-medicine i take medicine I, like i have asthma and i take my medicine every day because it helps me breathe like it is something that i need to do so that i feel whole and balanced and allow you know right and it can live my best life yeah. um and so there's just the urgent impulse of what you're talking about to just like reach for something and not look at the root cause it's like that i can't it's like once you see it you can't unsee it like right. now i'm like similar to you with depression my journey is this is deeply personal. I'm totally okay sharing it and you can edit what you want. But and um I broke up with my therapist because she was pushing medicine. Mm -hmm. And I what I knew like internally knew, like I just knew that there were like I was in this stirring and this space of like needing change, needing something like there was the other other things going on in my life that I needed to heal and it was completely connected to trauma, like my childhood stuff. And that idea of like being able to sit with it, I needed, I needed people in my life that were going to be able to sit with me in that space and help me 
move that through. So that's kind of a pivot that I took in the last three years from away from talk therapy, which served me tremendously and was so helpful into more somatic experiencing energy work coming into my body. Cause that was where like I could talk and talk and talk and my body was talking to me and it was like, I can't yeah. I, like, it wasn't, I wasn't able to move the trauma through just by talking. And so I like, for me, I, I, I could feel my, my body. I knew what it was. It wanted me to go in this direction. And so I knew that this, this other direction that she was wanting to go without getting to the root, right. Cause things were starting to make more sense to me. And I was learning more about what was happening in my body. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, we've got to go. And she served me in so many ways and I'm so grateful. And also that was a really hard thing to do because when you're being told by someone who holds power and authority and has letters after their name in this way and has helped me in other ways, it was like, I'm going to say no to you. And then the mind's going, right? So, and I'm going to say yes to honoring what my body is needing. And wasn't that I was going to do it alone or go it alone and try to wrestle through the same. It was like, I just I need to find other supports to help me heal. Yeah. That was massive for me. And it was like literally that the kind of taking the leap and honoring what my body was saying versus doing what somebody in this position of power in authority and not that, like, I mean, I hired her, but like, still, you know, we look at things like we look at do- yeah. doctors as holding power over us, um, that this maybe wasn't just because she was saying it wasn't necessarily. So that idea when you were talking about like questioning, is this, is it working for me? And am I willing to go step into this space, um, or without trying this first? So yeah, it was, and that was, I feel like I had took a quantum leap truly because yeah. I was able like so much of those pathways are not just in our brain. Like, our bodies hold on to that too. So being able to release that is so helpful. So that's another part of work with athletes is like the breath work piece. And then the movement, like helping regulation isn't just about thinking and challenging thoughts. It's a part of it. It's also get back in this body of ours that we spend so much time demanding so many things from yet we're like not nurturing it we're not like we're not home in it right and so be coming like coming back home into the body and honoring it as a vessel um, was so powerful for me so yeah so thank you for sharing that because that's another place i feel like i'm so not a lot of people are talking no talking about i and i I wrestle man i i i've had too many experiences like that where you go, I don't think you're helping me. And, yeah. you know, and then I would leave, but then I would feel this massive guilt like it. Cause then there's that other traumatic yeah. piece of my childhood going, you're not trying hard enough. You know, you're not sitting there long enough. Mm-hmm. You just didn't put in the work, but there was a deeper thing that I, and I didn't, maybe I didn't realize until now that I was listening to where you go, it, I just knew this yeah. wasn't the way. Yeah. And then after talking to that guy, it was like, He's not a therapist. He's just someone I'm talking to who gave me the facts that they're just Mm -hmm. a lot of these people in the past were just trying to help with symptoms. And I think Mm -hmm. like that, and I don't know if I shared this in the last one either. I know I have in another podcast, but um, the best I ever felt was when I had one of those, I I used to call them like knots, you know, kind of untangle in your brain. And then 
it, you would, it would all come out of your body. Like I was just bawling my eyes out in a therapy session when I was in the mental health hospital. And I remember a couple of days later going, Oh my God, that's what I was hoping meds would do. You know, like that's, that's what I've been looking for is that. Mm -hmm. And so that was the very first time where I went, I don't think meds are ever going to help me. (laughs) You know, know the best description, like it's visual comes from, and I, did I ever connect you with Eric Kusin with that same here? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, oh, wait, maybe. Or connected to the Alliance. So part of the Alliance, I was fortunate to, now that we were back out traveling and do some work with him and have had like just the platform and the, the practitioners that are in the Alliance, the people that he's pulled together and just the whole concept, like it's like five and five. So it resonates deeply with my message of like, we are all humans and yeah. all of us have mental health, right? So we, pre- we presented um, at a university in Connecticut together, and he it was the first time I saw him share his slides, right, and story. And he has a slide where he talks about trauma. So coming from this space of, like, as humans, we all experience, we all have stuff. Yeah. All of us have baggage. We all have, we can't, I don't know that a human can be born and escape life without trauma. Right. Right. So he has a visual and so the like the blue it's like this container a silhouette of a brain and it's like filling with blue coloring and it's like your healthy brain and then there's red bits of trauma that start to seep in so you have this red color it's kind of coming up the back of accumulated trauma over time or traumatic events and you see it and it's just like kind of taking over the brain the, the colors right so the red comes in and so he then has like this this like slip this looks like a piece of tissue paper that comes in and it's green and it's just like a very thin veil separating the trauma from the brain. Now, this is not the neuro the neuroscience. Right, yeah. Totally like a picture to capture, you know, what's happening and how it that that represents medication. And so this idea that it can be helpful and kind of allowing and buying time and allowing access to the parts of our brain that we can't necessarily access kind of a buoying right yeah to help us but that that doesn't feel those pathways yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't help the body move the trauma through so we've got to do the work too and i think a lot of people um for a lot of i think we probably could do a series on a, like podcast series on yeah just a healthcare system and i know that was actually and, one of my questions yeah, because yeah but we're running out of time so i want to ask yeah you, but, I, I, I've described the same similar thing. Um, it's like if you got knee surgery, yeah. you know, like if you don't do the rehab, your knee's going to be wonked out for life. Yeah. Right? But if you take morphine, it's going to feel better, but you can't yeah. take morphine forever or else your knee's still going to be wonky. Yeah. And that's how I've looked oh, at meds. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I'm not anti-meds by any stretch, but they Entire just haven't, yeah. they haven't assisted me. And 15 mm-hmm. years of trying, you know, made it very clear of that. But uh, so that's, that's, I'm always very careful to not tell people not yeah. to get on them. But if you do, um, I, I firmly believe now that you have to be looking for what's caused this, the thing in the first place. Underneath, totally. Underneath, yeah. 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 I'm so can, can we end on, on talking about your course and yeah. like what, what's <laughs> in there and what you do and what, and how, what you're trying to do um, with it? Yeah. Yes. There's so much. So, so yeah, yeah. sorry, I didn't give me more this, time. No, no, take, no. Take this, all the time you want. This is, um, well, I get so, this is where I get really lit up. So when I started, so like that 2016, that I talked about kind of that like real big pivot into the sport, my first 
kind of steps in or sharing my story openly. Yeah. And actually returning home to USA Swimming was one of one of the earlier stops and saying like, even in front of the coaches, like, Hey, like this is actually happening. Like, right. When we talk about mental health, we're talking about human beings and kind of going in and sharing more from an advocacy and storytelling standpoint. And then what I discovered is number one, like a lot of people are hurting and it's not people that are, you know, I think along the way, like that, my definition of mental health has really evolved because like many, I saw it as like mental health and mental illness as being like exchangeable or not. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And that humans and especially coaches are hurting and there's a lot on their plate that they're not equipped to handle. And the athletes, like it was this kind of like this generation can't handle things. And then you're seeing like coaches that you're like, okay, some of the things you're doing are contributing to pain and suffering and yet you care. So it was kind of this like begin the beginning stages were just taking in information and going like, what is happening? And I think one of my gifts is like seeing things like structurally, like seeing problems and solutions kind of like almost design, like in my mind of like yeah. collecting and hearing on the ground what was happening. And so I knew that sharing my story and, and storytelling is powerful because it's vulnerable and it, you go first and people cannot, like they're, you're with them, right? They, they're listening and engaged. And then the teacher in me, which is that's like much right childhood. So like, that's like who I feel like my like, purpose on this earth and that it was like, uh, okay, you, I've identified skills, but nowhere to send you to do this work. Like, I don't know, like it doesn't exist. This pillar you find pockets of it here and pockets of it there. And it felt like mental performance and high performing skills are like here with a flare of a little bit of shame. And then over here, you've got mental health talking about mental illness, like mm -hmm. not talking about mental health of all people. So it felt like, again, this middle, like what does the middle look like? And how do we, as I was like digging into the literature, like how do I now, now that I've identified these skill sets and I'll share them with you. So number one is mindfulness, which we both talk about and practice and integrate. And then number two is emotional agility, which right is a component of mindfulness and then self-compassion, which again, how is they're all interconnected. So they're not necessarily even separate things and skills, although the researchers and the body of work behind them, um, or just so they're all evidence-based practices and, and mindfulness is evidence evidence-based the others are, are evidence supported and so for me it's like if we can start to integrate these skills so the biggest greatest work at the beginning was like okay coaches athletes parents people like any skill you're trying to learn there's, only, there's three things you can train in those three buckets right the physical the technical and then the mental and we you know, I'm again, the disruptors like coming at that militaristic style that that's like the, really the only place that's a practice that exists. So like, we want to train the mind. We're going to go beat the body up to try to train the mind. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's, we know way too much to be operating in that way right now. And actually, indeed, the military is using mindfulness. Oh yeah. It, yeah. You're going to like that. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, no, we're at, that's, that's what we think the military is doing, but it's actually not even right. What the, the skills and practices. So creating this pillar and providing this pillar was essential for me. So if I'm going to come in to provide a keynote and I, I did not want to just drop in and then say bye. 
I did not want it to be this one-time thing where we drop plant seeds and it's like, see you later. I wanted to provide a place of practice. And so it began as supporting individual teams and athletic departments. I have opened it to the general public and, and, and still welcoming in teams and athletic departments. But essentially the concept is that coming in and having you know a kickoff and engaging in those exercises, right? Like this conversation and exercises leading first with story and then being able to work within. So a beautiful example of this is an athletic department in Idaho. And we, I went out and had this conversation. And so I don't just talk to the students, but also conversation with the coaches, welcoming and resistance, like, because they, one of the hardest things is when you're providing a pillar of mental, this mental pillar of support is that coaches, First of all, time they're strapped. They they do so much. So much they do so yeah. much. So I don't coach in college. I, time, yeah. Time and then like, who are you and what are you gonna like? What what's gonna happen here? Like, what are you gonna like? Mm, what are you gonna open up that we can't shove back in a box? Right? Like, there's this fear around it's trust, right? Mm-hmm. And so being able to engage and let them know and and be able to support that to tell them like we can creatively, you know, engage in this academy space, which is a virtual platform that's pretty massive, that is filled with modules, helping someone from that first level of awareness of like, why do we even want to have a mental pillar of support to what is our inner world? And like, why does it help us to know about it to then getting into the meat of it, which I feel like is where I do my best work, which is like where, where we get stuck teaching about the human brain and the anatomy and physiology. So the module, so there's videos in there and then there's PDFs and in there are, it's guided, right? So there's six kind of blocks of work in all throughout infused or resources around honoring mental well-being, right? So it's, it's not like this thing over here for mental illness for these, these people. And it's not over here where we're only talking about visualization and performance, we're talking about the whole human and integrating our true selves so that we can tap into that high level. So it's connecting, it's connecting it all so that we're aligned. And then there's another section inside the home of the Academy. So the Academy has like the modules and the lessons um, with that are themed. And then the next section is the mental muscle gym, which is like, over 50, you know, over 50 sport centric mindfulness exercises. And I say to them, like, you can utilize these. They're great. And also any, like, we just want to have a place of practice and having it all be in one space is helpful. So how I guide them through, it depends on what they're looking to do. So in this one school in Idaho, it was like the central hub and connection point was the trainer. So you have to like trainer because that's the place where they're like, they see all of it. Right. Yeah. And we did an exercise and activity. So they have like a wall where they put up resources and supports. And then they took the same here cards that we did as an engaging activity in the keynote and put them up on the wall. And they have a common corner now to help with regulation. It's just beautiful. And then the athletes can roll in. So I wouldn't suggest if I come in and let's say we're in the middle of cross country season, right? If it's fall, it's like, I don't know that that would be the best time. They can play around and see like other videos that they want to do, but being able to it on board and come in and start to work through at a time that aligns with where they are in their season is also helpful. 
um, and I guide them with workout cards, making maybe overly <laughs> like tapping into the <laughs> analogy of like the parallel of my husband's a strength coach. And I was like, Hey, ps, give me your workout card template. <laughs> and so I made this, I love them, the templates, the, their workout cards for each workout block to train our mind. And then there's the daily like reps they've got to get in with their mental muscle gym exercises and the video modules. And then there are priming questions like connecting with their why deposits they've made. So it's just, it's a place. It represents a place of practice for those who are wanting to learn more. So they sit in this opening or they're in that place where like they're navigating a little bit of like frustration from not, you know, I, I mean, I think every athlete can relate to not being able to tap into a high level performance when they know they've done the work yeah. or they know they're in their head or they know they're pulled by comparison. Like I feel that a lot, I mean, most athletes are aware of where they're struggling. And so to be able to provide a place where they can go in and literally like one by one, I've athletes that do that with their binders and they engage in that way or others who go in and go like, a la carte and go for the ones that resonate with them the most. Hmm. So yeah, it's, I feel like, and then to weave in the uh, work of Rebecca McConville, who's a registered dietitian that like took it to another level because when we, what I have learned recently, really the connection, which seems wild and it just is like between our mental health and food and sleep. Yeah. And so we know, we know those things. She goes deeper with why and like, we don't have enough energy to make neurotransmitters. We don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no kidding. But like, I never thought of that. Right. Yeah. And so walking athletes through the foundations of nutrition away from diet culture, away from all the noise. She, we are, we walk and step around like the shoulds of how you're supposed to do things and you no, know, and her specialty is in, in eating disorder recovery. So we've done a lot of work outside of this. So, yeah. So, so that having that layer woven throughout is also really powerful. So I've had coaches who come in and they then will like show it to the team. Right. So especially high school, high school programs, it's like, let's sit down and watch this 10 minute video and then let's talk about it. That's so it awesome. gives them the right. So now they've all, they've also previewed it. They know what's coming and there's a worksheet they can hand out. So it's guided for them. So it's like, here's what we can do in this time together. So they're onboarding that third pillar without having to become an expert in that area. So, yeah. I'm even more cool. pumped to hear that coaches are getting on board. Yeah. Cause yes, I mean, that's where it's, I don't want to say it's where it starts, but they influence the next generation so much more than a lot of people do. So that's, I'm, I'm just jazzed that. Yeah. Have you, gotten, have you gotten a lot of good feedback from it so far too? Or how, and it's been out almost. Yeah. So I've had with teams, we it's been two, almost three years of okay. having this in existence and the feedback is powerful. And then you can yeah. see, you know, and, and what's cool is you, to hear, to sit in conversations with coaches to tell you the changes they're seeing on the ground. Like that's cool. Um, when it comes to, yeah, that the invitation for people to join out like total transparency. And also I know like for those that don't know your video making skills are just right. So tap into you like, (laughs) how do I market this? How do I share this and mess? You know, I know what to say. It's a matter of like being able to communicate it in a way that people are like open to receiving it. So yeah, like a it's been slow. <laughs> yeah. Like it's been slow on that front of 
the opening the doors in part, and I'm, I'm totally okay with it because it's going to take time for people to realize like, that, like this is like something people didn't, even, they don't even know they necessarily need. So it's like, right. where does this fit in my life? How am I going to have the time for this? So slowly through conversations with parents who are reaching out for the mentorship program, let's say, like we talk about like, is this the pathway or is it more one-on-one? Um, so it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful that it's a tool so that I don't have to go somewhere and then say, I don't, I can't help you. Like let's go building. I'm grateful you know? it exists. Like that's, yeah. I wish it was around when I was younger, you know, it's, or I'm just happy it is now to be honest with you. Can yeah. I ask one more question sure. and, then I'll, yeah. and I'll let you go. I promise. Um, <laughs> do you get a lot of parents taking that, that course too, or do yeah. you, what, what do you run into that? I've thought about that. I haven't marketed it to parents. Okay. I was just yeah. curious. I think a parent one is necessary. Um, and well, I'm in a parent. I'm, I'm like, do parents take courses? I'm in one right now. I'm taking a yeah. course <laughs> on parenting. Um, maybe a shortened version of it or something along those lines. I don't know. I want to collab on something like yeah, for no, parents. I'd be something because I, I get that a lot. Like when I I went to the pole vault summit last year and I gave a my first huge talk and it's terrifying and I, I talked to you about that last time and the nerve sighted nerve sighted yeah no I, it was it was awesome like yeah, yeah. I, I heard I just heard someone say like there's a fine line between anxiety and excitement and you gotta well physiologically look into that physiologically is, yeah. and like to go like nerd out a little bit when you look at how you sit like what you say how you frame it it impacts the ratio of cortisol and DHEA yeah, it's it's, it's cool, isn't it? So um, cool. Yeah. But but I had so many parents come up to me after that, and I, the the fear at the time was coming from telling. It felt like I was telling a bunch of parents stuff they didn't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> like you go, this might not be healthy for your child, or this might not be yeah. good. And I know all you want is what's best for them, but the way you're going about it, and that was where my fear was coming from. Not standing in front of a bunch of people just telling stuff that I've learned over the years mm-hmm. or my story. It was going this is going to sting. (laughs) And then that, but as we've talked and their emotions to process, because there was a lot of, there was a lot of resistance from some right away. And then you could see it kind of dissipate. And the best comment I I think I've ever gotten from somebody was the next day. So how the summit works is day one, they have like the elite competition and they show off Mm -hmm. all the, the, the professional athletes and, Olympians and stuff and so they have fun. this big meet in front of like 4,000 people. And then right before that, there's a bunch of clinics and talks where the kids can go learn from the elite athletes and yeah. these coaches. And then parents and coaches can go to these workshops. And I was just in charge of one of the workshops. Yeah. And after the workshop, the next day, the kids jump on the same runways that the elite athletes are jumping on. Oh, so and then at every pit, there's like an Olympian helping, you know, put up the crossbar or something so that they get to high five Sandy yeah. Morris or these Olympic gold medalists or whatever. And one of the dads the next day sent me a, a message and goes, after your talk, I was a much nicer, kinder and gentler parent to my kid. And that like made it all worth it. Like no, all the fear, anxiety, anything that happened. And I got a few messages similar to that, but that was the yeah. one that I'll never forget. Cause you go, this does need to be said, you know, and as you said throughout this entire podcast and what you're doing with your course, it's bringing this awareness of what is helpful versus what we were taught as kids from our coaches. So, yes. Oh my gosh. That's, that's really beautiful. And you've just changed that kid's life. 
because like the parent yeah, wants the to do whole... well. Like the parent loves their kid. Like I mean, I I I oh. <laughs> you're, I know you're in your, you were, you're in this space. <laughs> you were with me now. Yeah. Parenthood is like a trip. And <laughs> that like, again, that so comes like full circle back to the beginning of like the two hands and being separate, being able to help parents with that. I am totally down for collaboration with you. On yeah. This. We should <laughs> talk for sure. But yeah. can, can you I'd let everyone to. know where to go if, if they want to get that course or how to get yeah. a hold of you and things like that? I mean, it's got to go on my first, it's not on my, so it's samanthalivingstone.com backslash empower. That's where the course is. And then Samantha Livingstone and on, on socials as well. Yeah. I'm going to get a little banner at the top of my homepage. We'll get it. We'll get it. I can't thank you enough for having this other, another conversation. With oh me. my God. It's super it's, fun. And totally like the flow we talk about, like just the things that energize us. So I will leave more energized than I sat down on the chair. I so, know. Like yeah. this 90 minutes just flew by. I like, yeah. looked at the clock. I was like, oh my yeah. God, are you don't time to wrap. Your time. Yeah, <laughs> time, for sure. time to go to the gym for me. I'm going to live. Yeah. yeah. So no, thank you so much for this and good luck. And I, yeah, let's talk soon for real. I hope you guys found something in there that was useful. Uh, go follow Samantha Livingstone on all social media channels and boom. You can check the show description to find links to her things. And if you and if you do the course, let me know what you think. Uh, I will probably be signing up myself. It looks amazing. <laughs> Life's meant to be experienced. Get out there and experience life. And curiosity will get you there. See you in the next one. Woo!